0: Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs
1: one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book.
0: But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible.
1: Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission.
0: And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Animorphs Anonymous, the bi-monthly Animorphs podcast.
0: Yes, welcome back. It's been a while for us, but still just two weeks for everyone
1: else. Because time <laughs> is an illusion.
0: Time is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, and it's confusing.
1: Oh, God. I haven't watched Doctor Who in so long.
0: Yeah, I, I stopped watching um during the Capaldi's first season. I want to say I watched his first
1: season, but then stopped before his second one. I distinctly remember stopping during matt smith's era i think it was the dinosaur episode which you'd think i would be very interested in but i couldn't make it through i was like okay i'm done
0: yeah because when they're like doctor who and dinosaurs you're like what could a more perfect combination be and then it was done in a way that's like oh this isn't jurassic park like or like cool at all this is kind of lame and i hate it
1: so you just turn it off and watch jurassic park instead
0: (laughs) yes (laughs) yes I mean, I'll watch Jurassic Park any time, any place, anywhere, anyhow.
1: I still have not seen Jurassic World. Or, oh. yeah. What, the new one? Is that? No.
0: Yeah, that that's Jurassic World.
1: Yeah. With really? Chris Pratt. Still no? I, so, I don't like Chris Pratt in any other role but Andrew Dr- Dwyer. I can't even say his name. <laughs> but, like, any other role, I'm like, You're, you are a douchebag i mean
0: kind of but it's he's in i mean he's in a lot of it but his part in it is generally passive okay so i i mean i'd still recommend giving it a watch
1: okay i just got the impression that he's like he's like the dinosaur whisperer that's that's the only thing i've gleaned from previews that i've seen
0: kind of um, but okay. then there's uh, there's a twist on that at the end, although that's pretty much, it, I'm sure you've seen the trailer for the second one now coming out, right? No. Oh, well, then I won't spoil it for you. <laughs> Falling into Animorphs' premise, I'll try not to spoil Jurassic World for you. Um, but yeah, there's a twist on that at the end. I, and I, he is that character. Like, I think it would have been a lot more true to the series if they had brought in more of, like, a Muldoon type of character that's, like, not the Whisperer, but he's like, I've hunted big game and I know, like, the way of the beasts because we've been in this dangerous game of hunting each other forever. That would have been cooler, I think, and, like, more in line with the series that um, was written by Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. Um, but... He He's not a terrible character. I mean, I don't... I think he's able to get away with a lot because he is like, you know, Andy Dwyer and like the beloved Chris <laughs> Pratt. But, I mean, he's not terrible. Okay. And it's not even really... This is more... It's more of a monster movie. Like, you'll like it a lot better if you go into it thinking... This is a monster movie because they made like a werewolf hybrid dinosaur, and there's other dinosaurs on the side that are very cool. And the park itself is like, the park itself is really what blew me away. It's like an amazing new structure. Like they did so much with what they could kind of glean from the original series, and I really appreciated that. But like, if you go into it as a monster movie, it's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Okay. If you go into it like the original series where you're like, oh, I love Jurassic Park and dinosaurs, and I like the accuracies of dinosaurs, and I like how when they discovered they had feathers, they put feathers on the dinosaurs, then you're going to be like, "Alice oh, is a little lame. I see. But that's why I'm really excited for the second one, because it's all about them like going onto the island and rescuing the dinosaurs, which is like the coolest concept ever.
1: Why are they rescuing the dinosaurs? Because the, island the island's
0: row? blowing up. Yeah.
1: Oh, wait, I haven't seen the trailer. I see, like, the dinosaurs, like, jumping off the, the cliffs into the water uh-huh. and shit. And I'm like, babies! Yeah,
0: that's what's so cool. Because oh. it's, like, it's related to Jurassic World 1, but it seems... And, of course, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't really know. But it seems like it's, like, a totally different... Con- like, basically, it's Jurassic Park 2 redone. As Jurassic World was Jurassic Park 1, Jurassic Park... 2 is Jurassic World 2 because they're bringing the dinosaurs to the mainland.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that'll end well.
0: It ended super well in the first one. And Jeff Goldblum's in this next one, too.
1: I was literally just about to ask if Jeff Goldblum comes back.
0: He makes a cameo, I believe. And there's been rumors that um, my, my favorite boy, whose butt I love, <laughs> is coming back to. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your favorite boy,
1: Sam Neil. Sam Neil, who oh I God. swear to
0: God, I don't remember what movie it was that he was in, but his butt was really nice. Okay. When he was younger. I mean, I don't know. It's probably still Okay. Um. <laughs> He also I started following him on Instagram recently and he like lives on some sort of farm and so he's constantly posting pictures of like his animals and he just posted one of his horse that like doesn't like horses but then a big like sheep ram wandered into its paddock and now they're inseparable so they just stand together eating stuff.
1: I love it when animals of different species are friends. Me too. Which is why I loved this Animorphs book. Wow! <laughs> this animorphs, that's a great lead in. Holy shit. <laughs> that was seamless.
0: That was. Wow, yeah. So this was the book from Axe's perspective. Yay. And it's about different species getting along. So how did you enjoy your first book from Axe's perspective?
1: I loved it. Um I thought it was like freaking hilarious. Like Marco's book was really funny, but this was freaking KA Applegate is a comedic genius. Like, yes.
0: Yes, she <laughs> oh, is. <man. laughs>
1: Oh, man. And I, I think we really got to know Axe a lot better in this book. Um, we kind of saw his uh, his character arc and his kind of conflict between helping the humans versus staying true to the Andalite law, which is really, really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think that also gave us that glimpse into why honor is such an important thing to him. Because we've made, we've made fun of it, basically, in every other book he's in about how right. he's like, honor! But, um it really gave a good perspective into why that's important to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I appreciated that. Um, Also, now that we've had all of the characters, let's let's go back to our promise we made in episode one. What Hogwarts houses would we sort them all into now that we have an insight into all of them?
1: Jesus. (laughs) Oh, no. I know it's
0: harder now than before, I think.
1: Except for Cassie, she's still Hufflepuff. Oh yeah, 100% she's Hufflepuff.
0: Mhm.
1: Um I would say Jake is still Gryffindor.
0: I was just going to say I'm yeah. I think Jake's a Gryffindor. Mhm. Marco, Ravenclaw.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mhm. Definitely cuz um you know, he's got the intelligence obviously, but I also feel that Ravenclaw is kind of like logic above all else you know even if that means sacrificing others like it's it's the logical thing to do which is totally Margot. yeah um, i'm still torn about rachel though because i know i think you said rachel for slytherin
0: i yeah and i yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you still maintain that
0: i i maintain i think she could be and i know we also talked about revisiting this a lot later in the series like we we're gonna do it once now once we had read all the characters and then once like very far at the end so I think um, the discussion around her will develop as the story develops but yeah Mm -hmm. I could still see her see I'm torn though I think she could be a Slytherin I think it can be argued I don't necessarily know that she is. Right. So that's my feeling on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah because I feel her um, her actions like her outward actions are very Gryffindor Yeah, but
0: But she can go dark, and that's where I think that Slytherin comes in, is that she can do things that are... She's like a hero Slytherin, almost. Like, her actions are good, and what she does is good, but she can be swayed to go to those dark places and do things from a selfish place, or a place of self-serving. Like, not... It's not always um, the heroic action that she takes. Even though that's what it ends up being
1: yeah um, I mean I, I don't necessarily think that selfishness automatically makes you a Slytherin because um, the thing about Slytherin I feel is that like they'll they'll save their own skin if need be um, mm-hmm. but then again I don't see how like fucking Peter Pettigrew ever became a Gryffindor because he's never shown any like form of bravery um, yeah
0: yeah that's so true. it's
1: not you know
0: it's not set in stone
1: yeah I don't know, yeah. I'm confused about Rachel.
0: And like, like I said, I still think she'd be like the hero Slytherin, not like, yeah. she's not one of the bad guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about Tobias then?
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like making mouth sounds, sounds, sounds. Um... <laughs> ing, ing, ing. Well, Tobias, like, his his foremost quality is, like, self-sacrificing, right? Right. Which, ugh, I don't know. I'm leaning towards Gryffindor Hufflepuff.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say he's, like, a Neville Longbottom-type Gryffindor. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it takes... Actually, this is perfect for this book. It takes more courage sometimes to stand up to your friends than your enemies. And what did he do? He did the right thing for Axe in this book. Even yeah. though it was standing up to his friend, he's Aww. a he's a Gryffindor. He's a Neville yeah. Longbottom
1: Gryffindor. Okay, you've convinced me. Yeah,
0: I convinced me too because I didn't think of that till just <laughs> now. <laughs> and then, Ax.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't know. Hmm. I want to say Ravenclaw because of like the intelligence yeah. and the logic, but he's not. I just don't think he is, and I don't yeah. know why.
1: Yeah, like he doesn't quite fit there but yeah. that was my first instinct too is Ravenclaw
0: hmm. but he I don't think he's a Gryffindor either I mean maybe he is because you could apply the same logic to what I just said to Tobias to Axe because of what happened between him and his own people but I just feel like he's maybe more of a Hufflepuff mm-hmm.
1: yeah I could see that I don't know maybe we'll revisit this question at the end of the podcast once we talk more about him
0: yeah, I think we'll have to revisit this once it goes on. But those are my initial,
1: yeah, feelings. I think I that's think. that's a pretty solid sorting. Yeah, we are the Sorting Hat. We we collectively
0: <laughs> are the Sorting Hat and the Scarf of Sexual Preference. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So those are my my two questions that I thought we could cover off at the beginning here. And then I have a couple more for you throughout, as usual.
1: Wow, I'm ready.
0: Yeah. So should we start going through this book?
1: Let's do it.
0: Cool. So our first opening is a prologue where we actually go back in time a little bit, and we get Axe's last few minutes with his people before he becomes trapped on Earth forever. Um, and it starts off with him being on the bridge and being amazed that he's allowed there because he's only an arsith and he could never... Like, if his brother wasn't the great war hero he was, he would never be allowed this, like, special privilege.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody only puts up with him because he's Elfanger's brother.
0: Yep, exactly. And that's, I think, an insight that we didn't really get a lot of previously. Um, But now Mm -hmm. that we're starting to see his culture, it's a pretty big point to his character. Yeah. So, um, he's on the bridge. He says something stupid. He calls the captain of the ship old hoof and tail and this is apparently a great insulty type name (laughs) not quite sure why (laughs) but it's apparently very embarrassing to elfangor that his brother said this out loud
1: so question about that Mm -hmm. as mentioned in previous books there's open thought speech and there's closed thought speech yep but this kind of rides the line between the two it's more like what we would equate to as a loud whisper right How does that work?
0: So, I think he said it in open thought speech. Like, just because you can just direct it to somebody, and it doesn't like the volume doesn't matter if it's directed to somebody. Like, you can not that there is volume even because it's thought speak, but you can like direct the sort of emotion and that sort of intent behind it to someone without ever breaking that barrier. But I think he just literally forgot himself and said it out loud because. That's probably what everybody calls him when he's not there, and so Axe says it, and I get the impression in the first parts of these books that he does, as much as he's like, they let me get away with a lot of shit because I'm Alfangor's little brother and he's such a war hero, I think Axe definitely, like plays that up too he's like i'm gonna act a little cooler because like you know that is my brother and sure um as the insight goes throughout the book we find out that like when they're alone Elfangor really like he treats him as an equal and not as like a little brother big brother bullying type relationship
1: yeah
0: so and this is like the last moment of them together too (laughs) it gets really sad from here for a little bit um, so the next thing that happens is that they're coming into Earth, Earth's gravitational field. They announce that they're there, and then bug fighters start coming at them. So they go into full alert. They're sending out their own Andalite ships to fight the bug fighters, and they're preparing for battle. Axe wants to go and fly a bug fighter, but he's not allowed because he's an Arsith. So, Arsith. so um, he and Elfangor share this moment where... Axe wants to go, Elfanger's saying you can't, you have to go back to the dome and stay there where you're safe, and he's like, I don't want to be safe, I want to fight, and Elfanger's, he like, kind of goes, one day, one day we'll fight together, don't worry, but for now, you know, you have to go do this, and he kind of gives him this moment of like, you know, yeah, I understand, but just, just go, just go sit in the corner for a little (laughs) while longer, and he does, Get get in the corner, think about what you've done. No it's said very nicely and kindly and with a lot of patience especially after insulting the captain of the ship. And uh so Axe goes <laughs> and then Axe does have this moment where he's like I don't want my brother to leave thinking that I'm mad at him so he says, you know, go kick some slug butt or whatever. Cute. And um so he's like I will and then they head off their separate directions and that's the last time Axe ever sees his brother. <laughs> so I was glad that it was a happy moment. <laughs> yeah. Um And then as all the bug fighters go out there, he Axe gets to the dome part of the ship, and that's when the Blade ship makes its appearance. And the pilots immediately go into emergency mode. They disattach the dome, because, you know, Star Trek. And uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of Star Trek in this book.
0: There's a lot of Star Trek in this book. And that's, like, literally, this is episode one of of, um, Next Gen of Star Trek, is there's an emergency near where they are at like their their station and so they have to disattach the saucer so that they can like fight in the main ship so that's basically what happens here but the only person in the saucer is axe um and the blade ship uh immediately cuts down the main andalite ship and that sends the dome portion of it spiraling into earth because it's in the gravitational field and it gets like smashed into the ocean and sunk and that is how axe got below the ocean
1: I have a question for you. Yeah. Going back to Star Trek. Sure. Um, So I've like, I've seen like maybe one or two episodes of Star Trek total in my life and then like the new movies. Um, So needless to say, my knowledge of Star Trek is pretty limited, but I think Matt and I were talking about Animorphs the other day and he said that the concept of having like a, basically a slug in your head that controls you is from Star Trek. Um... Can you attest to how true that is?
0: Do you know what series he was talking about, or what series he's seen in particular? No. Okay, because I. But
1: he he made it sound like it it was like taken straight out of Star Trek.
0: Um, no. I mean, I've seen uh some of Deep Space Nine, which I swear to God I will start again. I've seen all of season one. I've seen Next Gen. I've seen um the one with Captain Janeway. The name is escaping me right now. Uh, and some of the movies, but uh, the closest I th- I'm thinking is he's talking about the Borg, which I believe we talked about before yeah. in a previous episode because the Borg is pretty similar as far as assimilation goes. But um, it I don't remember any specific episodes where like slugs actually infest someone's head, and I feel like I would from what I've seen yeah. because I probably would have been like, oh my god, that's animorphs right there,
1: yeah. Um,
0: so as it, far it was as probably the Borg, I think he's probably talking about the Borg, which definitely has parallels and similarities, but it's mm-hmm. certainly not the same concept either.
1: Okay, I was just the reason I bring it up is I was just thinking like, what if animorphs just started off as Star Trek fan fiction, a <laughs> la <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: <laughs> oh okay. God, no!
1: Not like Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, that's the worst. Off as, as Twilight fan fiction. So okay, <laughs> sorry. That was like a big lead up to you know something that was just kind of a joke. But um... no,
0: that's that's fair. And I like again, we have talked about the similarities, but like I mean, mm-hmm. it could be a concept that happened in like the original series, which I haven't seen all of, so maybe I missed it there or Deep Space Nine. But from well, first of all, I don't think it would be Deep Space Nine because that's taken place all on, like, one ship, basically, until they get blasted into the middle of, like, an intergalactic war. So I don't think that storyline supports it. Voyager, that's the Captain Janeway series. It does not happen in there, as far as I remember, or um, Next Gen. So I don't... Unless it's in the original series somewhere and I've just missed it, but... No, I think he's talking about the Borg. And it's fair, completely fair to draw um, comparisons between the two, but it's not the same sort of function or anything at all.
1: Well, it's not like the concept of mind control is a new concept either.
0: Right. And the Borg is more about, it's not like they send something out that infests you. The Borg takes your body and puts it into their collective and that builds their knowledge base, which is similar to the Yurks. but your body actually like stays on the ship and it's turned into like a cyborg thing. And your mind is part of this hive mind instead of like, it's a thing that is its own individual thing taking over you. Mm -hmm. anyway anyways (laughs) yeah and the way that captain picard defeats the borg it just might come up later as we talk about this is that he um interjects this whole uh idea of freedom and individuality into the collective conscious and that's what causes the borg to like break apart in next gen freedom and he was like the only captain that ever like figured out how to take on the borg like this so it was cool Anyways, back to Animorphs, <laughs> where we talk about them seeing Star Wars or Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so this starts, um, the real book open after this this prologue here, is that uh, Axe is, the first thing is he's diarying about how he's surprised how humans don't fall over all the time. Of course. First thing is the, the excerpt about like, humans only walk on two legs. It's amazing they can even stay up. That's brought up a lot. That's brought up a lot, but it's very funny every time. Um, we're also told right up front that Axe was shocked that his brother gave away the power to morph, and it's against the laws of his people to do this. Mm-hmm. So he. a lot of this book takes place in Axe's head, and it gives us a ton of insight into him and his culture and kind of incidental alien knowledge as well. That just kind of builds out this universe. Uh, and so the opening mission, the idiotic mission, because this really does also take place kind of as one of our original CTA books for the other animars, because this is effectively Axe's call to action and how he becomes yeah. part of the team. So their original idiot mission, which everybody's on board with, including Jake, is to take <laughs> Axe to the movies to try and forget the Yurks exist for like a minute.
1: And so Axe can learn more about human culture. Yeah. That sounds like an excuse.
0: Yeah. And they go to see Star Trek. Like, that's going to teach them more about human culture. And we're not making this up. Like, we're not inferring this. They straight up say they go to see Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, they have, like, this whole, like, plan, like, where he's going to demorph, and if he can't demorph in the bathroom, where are they going to go next, and how they're going to go to this Nordstrom's, and they promise Rachel won't shop at Junior Miss on the way, and, like, all this funny stuff, and... um. X is really right from the get-go here thinking about how he needs to find out as much as he possibly can about the humans without ever letting on anything about Andalites. Like, Mm -hmm. he wants this one-sided exchange where he becomes an expert on Earth and its people and they don't learn anything about him. And a lot of this is said, like, because when I get back home, if I don't learn anything, they'll make fun of me. Like, they'll think it's crazy how I spent all this time on Earth and yet I didn't learn anything and I don't want to look like an idiot in front of my friends. Yeah. Which, this this whole book really just cements in your mind how much of a child X still really is, which we don't see in the other books, I think.
1: And there's a lot of um, kind of societal pressure in the Andalite race, it seems.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I'd agree with that. It's all about honor. Honor. <laughs> um. So, it, it this whole conversation goes on. Um. Axe is, like, starting to learn, like, sarcasm and banter. And, like, he's starting to get some of the interactions between his friends. Which always cracks me up. Because I love it when he's like, Marco makes mouth sounds that sound like what I believe it is called sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) So that cracks me up. Um, And then Jake really kind of brings it all home with this whole, like, we are here to have Axe learn something. And we will not start a fight rachel please <laughs> so they get to the movies the movie starts oh, wait, wait 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 wait,
1: i have beef oh tell me tell me okay so so they say okay axe it's time to morph into human and axe kind of goes through this whole like oh yeah humans on two legs and and humans have to wear clothes and stuff yeah how the fuck is axe able to morph into a human with a morphing suit on um,
0: because when he originally morphed into a human, he was naked, but then they gave it to him and said, make this part of your human morph when you... Did they? Back and forth. Mm-hmm. I do
1: not remember that <laughs> at all.
0: Uh, it, I believe it was in the very first book where they got, rescued him, and when he was morphing and that was that whole, like, Tobias and X start to have that moment, and then Jake's like, yeah, that's nice, but, like, we gotta move, guys. Um, that's when they... They had, like, the boys help him get clothes on because, you know, girls can't- they couldn't look. And, uh, they said, like, make this part of every time you morph. Do not forget this.
1: (laughs) Okay. I must have missed that, then.
0: I'm relatively sure that they specifically call it out, but I'll look back and maybe see- Maybe it was a retcon that I'm just conjuring from the depths of my mind. But I'm pretty sure they call it out.
1: Okay. I hope so, because- that's not how DNA works.
0: No, no, um, it's he, the first time he morphed. He was totally naked.
1: Yeah, and he would be naked subsequently every time he morphed. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, that was just some some beef that I had that we can check later if that was nothing. <laughs> I mean, fact- not that I don't trust you, but I I sincerely <laughs> do not remember that.
0: <laughs> I I think it's a throwaway, but I specifically remember it and i hope i'm remembering correctly okay anyways they go to the movies and things start to go south pretty quickly um marco offers x some popcorn and jake says okay but we know how you get around food so don't get carried away so he starts eating the popcorn and immediately gets carried away And he's talking about how, like, what are are these flavors, these wonderful flavors? And they're like salt and grease. And he's like, salt and grease. (laughs) And um, then he also mentions that there's a slight cigarette flavor to the popcorn, which cracked me up. I'm imagining that's burnt.
1: Yeah, either that or, like, he has an impeccable palate, and, like, the person that was dishing out the popcorn, like, had just gone out for a smoke break, and some of the smoke smell got on the popcorn. I don't know.
0: Oh, maybe. Although, Marco said it tasted really old, so maybe it was like people were smoking. You can't smoke in movie theaters, even in the 90s, could you?
1: Well, no, but you can go outside, smoke, come back in, and you smell so much like cigarettes, and it kind of wafts everywhere and could get into the popcorn and linger there forever yeah cigarettes are gross
0: (laughs) well anyways the popcorn tastes like cigarettes (laughs) so um after he eats the popcorn he tries to eat the box and then marco's like please don't (laughs) and then x discovers that there's popcorn all over the floor that people have just left there god someone stop this child Yeah, so he's, like, crawling around on the floor after he gets a little mad at the movie because he notices that the, uh, one of the characters in the thing was clearly, like, an alien species that he knows, but they're calling it a Klingon and, like, what the fuck? And so he gets bored and he starts eating all the popcorn off the floor and then he finds brown globules, which make him go absolutely nuts And then finally he eats his way across the floor, like under people's feet, who are freaking out at this point, and makes his way to a small child where he demands the child's brown globules. (laughs) And the kid's like, Mom, he's trying to take my candy! And that's when uh, Marco and Jake figure out that he's missing and go over there and grab him under the arms and bodily drag him out of the theater. Jeez. And that's our open. Our open mission to this book.
1: <laughs> Max is such a disaster.
0: He's always a disaster. It's oh so God. funny. He's so such a disaster around food, and it's always amusing. Like it's never not funny when he's going batshit insane around food.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh, oh. And then they go outside, and yes. there's a man yelling and screaming about yurks,
0: which is bound to be a good thing, right? yeah this is the first indication that they see that them destroying the candrona a few books ago has actually done some damage Mm -hmm. so that's pretty exciting um except for the fact that when we're looking at this from like jake's perspective he's like finally it's happening where, you know, they're they're going they're going nuts, they're losing their host bodies, there's gonna be like 15, 20 people, they're not gonna be able to ignore this group of people that say that there's aliens taking over and Axe is kinda like, Yep, yep, and Marco's like, Jake's right, this is great and Rachel's the one that says and Axe points out, Rachel's a true mind of a warrior here. She points out there's no way that they don't have a plan for this. This is a one off scenario. But there's mm-hmm. no way that this is they're letting them get away with this. And she's right, because we find out, or it's implied at this point in the book, that when they come to pick him up, an ambulance shows up, and they kill the guy.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, the kids see it, but don't really get it. Axe is the one that says, I saw the cylinder that they got and pressed into his neck, and... Yeah, that's the yerks. They cover their tracks. They don't let things like this slide. They cover up anything like this yeah so um that's really axe is keeping that from the team that he knows that that could that that would be the result and Mm -hmm. he knows that jake's brother is at risk and he couldn't tell him so yay uh so then we cut to axe performing his morning ritual probably the next day or a day or two later and he's contemplating why he still does it even though he's that far away from his people so even this early in the book we get that sort of I'm so far away, like why am I why am I still like doing this thing like I'm part of my everyday culture? So that was interesting. Um he finishes up and Tobias asks him what he's doing, and Axe is very hesitant to even give him this information, but he tells him the truth and how it's this ritual and, and all that sort of stuff. And as they're talking, Tobias says, Ah, don't back up and Axe is like, Why? Oh. <laughs> Did you hear that rattling? Why, yes, I did. Well, that's a poisonous snake. So um, Axe is getting close to it, and the snake lunges at him as if he's going to bite him and pump him full of poison, but Axe moved, and the snake glanced off his hoof, which was a lucky sort of thing, because they mentioned the snake struck a little bit faster than, you know, Axe could see, which is amazing, considering how fast his tail blade is, but whatever. So, that's that's my little annoyance with this book.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. So... Let's yeah. talk about this rattlesnake. Okay. So, immediately, you know, this was another kind of trigger for me to be like, oh, based on the range of a rattlesnake, I can figure out where they live. Because that's. I
0: knew what you I do. would. I knew. I almost okay. wrote it down to ask you <laughs> if you had looked that up.
1: I did. I did look it up. <laughs> um, so, my previous guess was that they are in a suburb of Seattle, Washington. That mm-hmm. was my guess. I looked it up. There's only one type of rattlesnake that is native to Washington, that is the Western rattlesnake, and it's only found in the eastern part of the state. It is not found anywhere near the Seattle area. Okay. So if that information is accurate and checks out, which I'm not like totally convinced that it does, mm-hmm. but that means that they cannot be in Washington in Seattle. Um, because obviously they live close enough to the ocean that they can just, like, walk over there or, like, take a bus over there. Yeah. Like, so they have to be near the coast. So I'm no longer convinced that they live in Washington. <laughs> um, also, I had a problem with the with the snake bit because I'm picturing, like, Axe is standing in kind of the same spot when Tobias comes over and they start talking. Yeah. And a snake wouldn't just go up to Axe. And, like, start hissing threateningly. Like, rattlesnakes avoid you. Right. Like, they only do that when they're cornered and threatened. So I don't understand what the hell was up with this snake behavior. I think it was just a convenient snake. Yeah. So I was having a bit of an issue with that. But anyway, that's that's when I messaged you last night. And I was like, what the hell? I'm going (laughs) to mansplain this whole book. Good.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the snake being there was convenient because at this point I don't believe they're walking through the woods they do start walking through the woods but at this exact moment they're not and that's snake rattlesnake habitat is not really the woods
1: yeah it's more um kind of desert area right yeah yeah.
0: not to say that it's impossible it's just not generally their territory
1: yeah and like I know the whole rattlesnake thing is a plot point that pays off later but yeah, I'm I'm back to being confused about where they are. Yeah. So. I'm Wait, not, you I'm you know where they you. live. I know yeah, where you... they are. <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, they um yeah, I know where they are,
1: but Okay. I'm not going to say. Yeah. Okay. The, the mystery <laughs> continues. <laughs> the mystery abounds. This is a strike against them being in Washington. So, anyway.
0: I can't tell you where they are. Yeah. I know. Or their or, names. It's too risky. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a controller. You could be a controller. I mean, it's a security breach. I haven't seen you for three days straight, so <laughs> I just don't know. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so um, the snake thing happens. And then Axe acquires a snake. Mm-hmm. So that's the plot point later part. Yeah. Um, and then Tobias asks him that they he says that all the animorphs have a burning question how does he eat and i realized that jeremiah and i spoiled this for you in the last book
1: um not really i i remembered that fact from like when i read these books okay good. like back in college so i I did kind of remember that bit okay good
0: i was afraid after like i don't know why it just seems like such common knowledge that like jeremiah and i it never occurred to us that like you wouldn't know this, and luckily you did already know this, but, like, that could have been a spoiler. So, anyways, sorry for it's okay. almost spoiling it's not, something.
1: It's not overtly important to the plot. Okay, good. Plot. <laughs>
0: good. It, it really isn't. It's just something that's brought up in this book. Yeah. So, I think no it was, like, it was Applegate going, like, look how cool my alien is. Because, like, her whole premise when building Andalites was, like, Let's take what people think about aliens and do something totally out of left field so it surprises everyone. And I think this was just a way of her highlighting, like, look how genius my alien is. Mm-hmm. So, he eats with his hooves. Yay. Yep. Well, after they go through that, we find out that X is going to school today. That can only
1: end in disaster and calamity.
0: I know, right? Like, there's nothing and even like the prep for getting him ready for school part of that was them saying like here's the character you're playing today you're going to be jake's cousin philip you're gonna say you're in town just for today because you're only coming to school for one day and they're like you have to act normal and like everything he does in this lead up to him going to school is him not acting normal like you can't call me prince jake don't call me prince i won't prince jake i promise yeah. i won't and it's like yeah. You, you're going to act human. Yes, I will be the perfect human. You're going to blend in, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: like They keep giving him these opportunities, and he keeps just fucking blowing it.
0: Right. And, like, you can tell. You just know it's going to... And then, like, even when they're leaving... Tobias says something like okay have fun at school and Axe goes to like turn and be like all right I will and he falls and he over, falls over. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh. so that happened there's also another quote in here um I believe it's just from Axe's journal as we're going through the chapters because like a couple of the chapters have snippets at the top that are just him journaling and the Which one that I live
1: for I know I they're loved so those. good
0: And this one here was my favorite one of all time where he goes, Marco says my stock eyes creep him out big time. I believe this is a compliment. (laughs) So that cracked me up so badly that I was, when I was uh, talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this uh, guy that likes to say a lot of shit about how bad we are at horseback riding. I was like, I'm going to tell him from now on. I take that as a compliment. (laughs) I was like, I'll use my ax powers. Take his
1: power
0: away. I will take his power away by telling him, I believe this is a compliment. <laughs> so, um, that's
1: amazing.
0: Anyway, I know it was, it, I laughed, and it was one of those times where I was telling somebody else's story that I just wished I was telling you because you would get all the nuances of it. <laughs> and I was like, it's still funny talking to other people and saying this, but it would be funnier if, you know, if it was if it were me. Yeah. Luckily, wow. she listens to this podcast, so she will understand this reference retroact in like 3 months
1: <laughs> shout out thanks for listening to our podcast yay thanks
0: yay. i won't say your name you know who you are <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways um so ax is uh going to school and like Everything is very confusing to him right off the bat. He's like, There there's these doors and then there's these tiny doors. Where do the tiny doors go? And they're like, This is a locker And X is like, Ah yes, okay. Why is there a picture of Prince Jake in your locker? Which again he calls him Prince Jake. <laughs> <laughs> he's like talking to Cassie and he's like, Why is there a picture of Prince Jake in your locker?
1: and uh hey hey cassie why is there a picture of that guy and you're like
0: loudly (laughs) in front of everyone and like oh my god and then she's like oh you know And he's like he's right here prince jake is right here why is there a picture (laughs) 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 hey hey do you like him (laughs) so yeah and then when she's like trying to explain it away she's like she looked down like she was either sick or embarrassed and it was, like, all he could do to not ask, are you either sick or embarrassed? <laughs> it just
1: makes it so much worse. He makes it
0: a thousand times worse. And then the bell rings, and it scares the shit out of Axe, which I wrote was fair, but he, like, whips himself around in the hallway, and, like, he's ready for an attack, and he's like, I wish <laughs> I had my tail blade. And I just imagine him doing, like, these, like, karate hand moves as the <laughs> yeah. bells ring. So. Uh, it oh, was really um, good.
1: <laughs> um. And then earlier, uh, they ran into uh, Marco and Rachel, and they make a point to mentioning that he now realizes, like, that Rachel is very attractive.
0: Yes, and that and he like, feels nothing for Marco.
1: Yeah, but like that was interesting to me because it's like, okay, he didn't realize this until he was a human. Mm-hmm. So is that like the morph DNA kicking in? Like, is it the same as when Tobias was? Uh, having like hawk feelings for that female hawk like i don't know it's just
0: so if i had to guess i'd say that what's happening is um things are firing in axe's brain to make him like realize that rachel is pretty
1: yeah and also he talks about adrenaline later which Mm -hmm. apparently andalites don't have so oh yeah so it could be just like a chemical reaction
0: Right, exactly. Like, he sees, like, I don't know, whatever, blonde hair, blue-eyed, symmetrical face, like, you know, body shape, all that sort of stuff, and thinks, like, oh, yes, I understand now why people think she's pretty. I'm imagining it's just a reaction in the brain, because he doesn't, like, his Andalite part of his mind doesn't react to it. He points out that, like, he understands in human morph why... Like, that the human is attracted to her. The same way Tobias is like, the hawk is, I'm attracted to the hawk and I can't explain why. Uh Like, I'm imagining that's, that's, that seems what it is to me. And especially, like, you know, just knowing that that's something that lights up in the brain when you see that ring of truth to it.
1: Oh, 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 oh. Yes. Um, uh, Axe mentions that when he, when he was pretending to be Jake and he was acting, you know, outlandishly. Um, he mentioned that they actually sent the real Jake to a doctor uh, a couple days after the York incident. Yeah.
0: And I was just
1: like, oh, they, they sent him to a psychologist. It, that's because ah! I know we had said in previous podcasts that like these kids need like a shrink. they need yeah. to like they need someone to like help them through these issues. but I just, I just thought that was really interesting to mention Mm hmm that like they sent him to a psychologist i don't know
0: yeah no i agree i think that's very interesting and it i wonder if he ever um i don't to the best of my recollection remember this but i wonder if at any point there's like coping mechanisms that he uses throughout the book i imagine it would have been called out if he did but just interesting to think about
1: i don't know what my point was with that but I was like, yes, send them to a shrink.
0: (laughs) Just that he went to one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't even tell the shrink anything that would actually help him. Right. Yeah.
0: He would have had to say, like, no, it was just a rough few days at school. Not a big deal.
1: Yeah. Just wonder what he went through mentally.
0: Anyway. (laughs) I know. And that's, like, throughout a lot of this book, I'm finding, like, especially since we talk so much about, like, the characters and what they go through and how, what their interactions are like reading through and note making notes of this i'm wondering in a lot of the books like what the other characters reactions and things were and what they're going through when we're not checking in with them
1: mm-hmm.
0: so like in in this book like there's really um a big part of this is that the kids come back to axe and they'll say like yeah jake and I talked about this or so-and-so is doing something on the orders of jake and you're like but wait a minute like I don't, I want to get the insight into that conversation between Marco and Jake or Rachel and Jake or like, you know, Mm. I want to know what happened. And uh, the big one in this book is that towards the very end between Tobias and Jake, which we can talk about then, but like, I want to know how that conversation went and I want to know like what was said and how that was received, but we don't get that. We only get the perspective of the character we're reading right now. Yeah. So anyways, (laughs) uh, Jake and X go to Jake's class And Jake says to the teacher, you know, this is my cousin Philip from out of town. He's just here for one day. Can he, like, sit in on classes and that be okay? Which, this is, again, totally 90s thing. This would never fly today. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the teacher just says, sit and be quiet. Just sit and be quiet. And uh, Jake goes, oh, take that desk over there. And Axe is like, take it where? <laughs> and then Jake is like, no, sit in it. And so Axe sits down. He's like, I'm pretty good at this human thing. I sat down super good. <laughs> um, and then he Love makes it. a comment about how the chair is uncomfortable. And another like kid that sounds like the stoner of the class is like, wow totally.
1: <laughs> totally, dude. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally, man. These chairs suck. Love it. <laughs> so, um after <laughs> that oh, i swear so it's so funny it's so funny oh my
1: god like i'm just laughing so hard
0: yeah especially when he thinks he's doing so well like oh and sitting by the way is sitting down on fat deposits halfway down your back <laughs> fyi <laughs> so oh god. he's so good this cracks me up so much
1: i love
0: X. yep and, uh, but then we get the immediate 180, because what happens next is the teacher starts, like, grabbing his head and screaming, and the teacher says something about a yerk and starts to claw his own head, like, to the point of blood. Yeah. Um, so the teacher is clawing his own head, struggling with the yerk, and there's this, like, moment that was, like, really freaking scary to me. Not like, ah, I don't want to read anymore, but, like, it, like, just imagining watching this where the guy's, like, clawing his own head open. He's going, get out of my head. And the yurt goes, stop damaging our body. And it's like, oh, "Oh, God. Like, ah. (laughs) So um, Jake rushes up to him. And in probably, uh, again, one of the dumbest maneuvers, like, in line with morphing out of lobsters in some lady's kitchen, (laughs) Jake rushes up to this guy. And he starts saying, like, hold on, ride it out. I've been through this. I've been a controller. It's almost over. Just ride it out. And then uh, Axe notices the other kids are getting close enough to hear Jake. And he says, stay back. There may be danger. (laughs) And so they do. Um, And Jake is, like, trying to coach him through this when Chapman bursts into the room. And he orders everybody out. And so everybody leaves except for Jake and Axe. And Chapman's going, take your friend and get out of here. And um, Axe notices that Jake's looking like he's gonna challenge Chapman, and he's worried Jake might say something. But then Jake just kind of backs down and leaves. And
1: um, how did Chapman? How did Chapman know? Did he, was he just like passing in the halls and he heard screaming coming from a classroom, and he's like, "Oh shit."
0: Yeah, they don't clarify that. Or maybe, like, a student ran down to his office and was like, oh, Mr. Purdue's going nuts. And he's like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> son of a bitch. Um, and I, Chapman also probably, because of his ranking, has insight into, like, who is on the shuttle for feeding and who isn't. Yeah. so Yeah,
1: and he probably has to, like, do the rounds and check to make sure no one's going crazy.
0: Exactly. So, I'm imagining that probably had something to do with that. Um. Yeah. And then, in probably one of the most stark contrast moments of this book, Jake and Axe go to a playground, and then have an argument. Mm-hmm. And this argument is Jake asking Axe, uh, who Axe was angry, and he's trying to get over it, but Jake's enraged. He's asking him if Mr. Purdue is going to be eliminated now, and Axe admits he will be, and he said the Yurks don't leave evidence. And Jake starts, like, it just sends him into this spiral where he's like, Axe, you're keeping things from us. And, you know, Rachel and Marco have both been asking me what we know about you, and the answer is nothing. We keep giving you information and letting you into our lives, and you are keeping things from us, including this. And that's when Axe admits that he, he felt like if he told Jake that, his brother stands the chance of getting eliminated if his Yerk doesn't feed. That he was afraid that Jake would not have destroyed the Kandrona, and Jake goes, "If that's what you think, then you have a lot left to learn about the humans." And it's like this really intense fight taking place on a playground. Yeah, like what the fuck. <laughs> So I liked that stark contrast. But yeah, uh, Jake says a few more things about how he thinks humans are just a pawn in like the Yurk-Andalite war and Uh Axe kind of, he says, well, kind of, but he doesn't say that to Jake. (laughs) Um, And he, Axe also again struggles with like, I can't tell him anything of my people, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was just a crazy argument and... I don't know. I I couldn't. I loved that it was in a playground. I think it was my biggest thing from this, where like Axe finally reveals that like he's trying to control Jake like this, even though Jake is his prince. Ugh, it was just good. So yeah. Um, we cut to the next day. Uh, they they just went home after that. Jake went home after Mister Purdue was eliminated, and Axe went back to the woods, and he was relieved to be in his own body. Um. And the next day, Marco gets tasked with taking Axe to the bookstore. So the whole point of this is Jake has asked Marco to take him because he wants to open up, like, the resources of Earth to Axe to be able to research whatever he wants. He can get whatever book he wants, learn whatever he wants about Earth because they've decided to, like, just kill him with openness and show him, like, we're being open with you. We're being honest with you. You need to reciprocate. But they keep mm. extending the olive branch first. And Axe is just kind of, like, taking it and taking it taking <laughs> it, not reciprocating. The guilt
1: will kill him. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that's really their plan, is the guilt yeah. will kill him. So, um, it's very funny because Marco even mentions, like, I told Jake I could pump you for information. And he said, no, we'll just show you our own stuff and hope you reciprocate. Um, <laughs> He's a
1: frank, I love it.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. And I this is, like... The start of like what was that conversation between Marco and Jake like, and then you know we have the later interaction with Cassie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So anyways, um, so Marco is gonna take him to the bookstore, but then he realizes he forgot his wallet, so he has to stop by Marco's house. And there's a very weird conversation about how Axe is like, oh, that's Prince Jake's house, and Marco's like, no, we're in a different part of town, but in the subdivision, there's only like five models of houses. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> And to this day, when I go into subdivisions, I look at the houses to see if there's only two or three models because of
1: this book. (laughs) Oh my God, that's amazing.
0: I know, it changed my entire childhood and I never even knew. So,
1: I love this part um, because Axe spots a big wheel, like lawn decoration on someone's yard. And he's like, What's that? It's so attractive and colorful. And Marco just like taunts him about it. Yes.
0: Marco was, it was so funny, too. He's like, I'd tell you about it, but I don't want to reveal Earth's biggest secrets of the big wheel. <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. And you just have to imagine it's, like, such a gaudy thing on someone's lawn that everybody else is looking at in the neighborhood. Like, the HOA is probably like, oh, get rid of it. And Axe is like, <laughs> oh, it's so colorful. Uh, oh, God. It's those moments of, like, it's so funny and, like, the uh, Anyway, so they get to Marco's house, <laughs> and um, the first thing here is the quote about how books are better than computers. I actually uh, bookmarked it, because I'm going to read it, because this is such an K.A. Applegate thing to say, because she hates computers. So the full quote being read from the book right now is, Books are an amazing human invention. They allow instant access to information simply by turning pieces of paper. They are much faster to use than computers. Surprisingly, humans invented books before computers. They do many things backward. Yep. Uh. Yeah, no, I I mean, I know the agenda here was Applegate does not like computers, but we all have handheld computers now, and we use them to Google things constantly.
1: Yeah, or ask Siri to do it.
0: Yeah, except I have an Android phone, so I don't ask shit from Siri. (laughs)
1: wait who do you have cortana
0: okay google oh
1: shit did i activate it no thank
0: god oh did i tell you gax activated my phone the other day really yeah it's that's That's my starling sorry sorry audience that is my starling and um starlings can mimic human noises so i was just sitting there doing something or other and gax actually opened my phone and i was like no (laughs) 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 i was afraid he was gonna like search something
1: what what would he say though like what would he ask are you causing trucks
0: (laughs) probably i wasn't i was not listening to him i only noticed like when my phone lit up and he was like talking behind me babbling away um (laughs) so he probably it could be a couple things like he imitates a lot of my ringtones and also uh skype and slack so he'll constantly do that like bubble popping slack noise and i'm like oh i have a message and then it's like it's him um, so I'm imagining that's he so probably funny. said like okay and then that's what lit it up because the whole phrase is the okay Google. So
1: he oh probably said okay if, something. <laughs> if if I had a bird that made like the slack notification noise all the time, I would like constantly be in a state of panic. I'm like, Ah, who's messaging me? What do you need?
0: I am. There was one night that I Christ. finished I was it was like five thirty and I'm like, Okay, I'm leaving work now. So I like walked away. And all I could hear for the next half hour was slack noises. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to go back to a 1,000 messages. It must be an emergency. What is happening? So, like, finally when my anxiety, like, <laughs> rotted away my resolve to leave for the day, I went back in there. No notifications whatsoever. It was all gax. <laughs> I was like, damn it. That's amazing. It drove me nuts because I'm like, oh, God, something horrible must have happened. uh so yeah, it was it's not good. And now we um we just got uh an Amazon dot. So like I'm waiting for the orders to start arriving any day now. God. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what he ordered. I'll keep I'll update everyone on the podcast of what Dude. my starling orders once he figures out the dot. <laughs> Fuck. I know. Alright. I'm gonna jump right back in. Do it. Cool. So Uh, they go to Marco's house because he forgot his wallet and um, quote about books being better than computers blah 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 so um, the Applegate agenda so on so forth (laughs) (laughs) so X is um, at Marco's house he finds this uh, computer game in quotations and this computer game is where Axe thinks he has to correct all of the uh, incorrect symbols in it, and all of the incorrect mathematical equations. And he's like, ah, oh, this is very simple. Um, and that's when Marco's dad comes upon him, and since Marco has told him to only respond yes or no to his dad's questions, it leads to this very funny interaction where Marco's dad is like, oh, you must be Marco's friend. And he's like, yes. He's like, what's your name? No. Your name is no? Yes. <laughs> like, and it goes back and forth. It's very amusing. It's amazing. Um, it is pretty amazing.
1: And Marco's dad, like, he, he does okay with it. He's, like, confused, but he kind of rolls with it.
0: He's trying really hard to, like, accept him. And he's like, wait, your your name is no, yes. Yes, your name is no, no. Wait, what? And then at the end, he's like, I think I'm too old to understand. Like, <laughs> it's not even like your friend's a fucking lunatic. It's like, I think I'm too old to get this what the kids are into nowadays.
1: I love Marco's dad.
0: Yeah, he's God. awesome. God. Yep. Um, and then uh, it kind of cuts to Axe minding his own business, talking about reading The Almanac, his new favorite book, <laughs> when Tobias comes shooting in over his head and says, Axe, don't move. Everybody's looking for you. And the, these other birds all land around him. And Axe is like, I realized when they started demorphing, these were the other animorphs. Because in what fucking world would you think four birds landing around you would not be the other Animorphs? Come on. So anyways, Axe is... He's not is, from Earth. He
1: doesn't
0: know. I guess. I wasn't willing to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, they start demorphing and Marco's in a rage because he's messed with his dad's work. And Axe is like, what do you mean? You mean that game? And Marco's like, yeah, except it's my dad's work on the telescope. And Axe is like, telescope? Like... For what how and they're like explaining to him he's like oh you mean that game and marco's like say game one more time <laughs> one
1: more time motherfucker
0: <laughs> <like>, so, <laughs> so upset um yeah and then so ax is like he realizes that oh this is marco's dad's work after like they've said it four or five times and he realizes oh crap i've just broken the law of cyro's kindness and i've set them forward a century and also, oh, crap, I can use that to contact my own people. So he's, like, they're trying to make him respond, and he's not, because, like, all this stuff is running through his head right now. And um, he's just, like, he's in turmoil. Mm-hmm. And uh, this leads to the next chapter, where Axe is running and thinking about this, and, like, oh, God, well, it was an accident, so I won't get in trouble, because I didn't mean to. And also, I can fix this. I have to go to the telescope. But also... I could contact my own people, and I I do really want to see my own people. And he's like, Andalite warriors are supposed to be completely self-sufficient, and not, they have to spend all this time alone, it has to be okay, but I could just see my own people. And then all of a sudden he's, like, right by Cassie's farm. He's like, oh, I better, like, turn around and leave before I get caught. And then there's Cassie there, who's morphed a horse.
1: (laughs) And, yeah. Accident?
0: Accidentally. Yes.
1: (laughs) <laughs> also, I have a question about yeah. the. Okay, so he realizes he can he can break through Z space and send messages to his people. Uh huh. And later they call it like a Z space communicator. Is that <clears throat> different than a Z space transponder from Book Five? Um, only in uh, the actual functionality of it. Like the Z
0: Z space transponder was a specific part, but Z space communication is what that part does.
1: But, I guess, because in Book 5, the whole thing was you build this Z-Space communicator to summon a, uh, a ship down so he can hijack right, the ship and then get back to the Andalites. Why didn't he just contact the Andalites back then?
0: Because uh, it was a distress beacon that he was building, not a communications array. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. That's the difference. Thank you. But Z-Space is, like, where they channel everything yeah. through...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anyway, Cassie's there.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so um, Cassie is demorphing from a horse. And uh, so she's... It's stated here, from Axe's perspective, as if he just ran into Cassie. I would be willing to bet relatively large sums of money that Jake put her up to this.
1: But she goes on to say that Jake would be mad at her for using morphs for personal things because she just wanted to morph a horse and run around because she likes to do that.
0: I think that's a lie. I think this is a mission, and she's just trying to build up a communication with Axe. I think this is Cassie using her ability to um, see emotions and to find out emotions and using it to try and gain Axe's trust and find out information that way.
1: Well, shit, she fooled me.
0: Yeah. Yeah but she can't fool me. I see through. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're also omnipotent and you know everything that happens in this series.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's not true. I mean, I don't know things that aren't explicitly called out and this isn't ever explicitly called out, but I have my sneaking suspicions that Jake is using her tactically for this. I have my suspicions.
1: I, that makes sense to me. hmm But we don't know for sure.
0: So uh, anyways, I I really think Cassie's trying to pry. And also when that happens, X has another moment of like, but I don't think Jake would get mad at you. He seems to have a, a special sort of, you know, exception to the rules where you're involved. And Cassie's like, no, 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 we're just friends. And he's like, oh, but I've seen you intertwine your fingers. And then she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you got me nothing gets by you Ax. <laughs> nothing gets by you and your four stock eyes that creep yeah. <laughs> people out <laughs> well four eyes two stock eyes anyways yeah um so cassie's trying not to pry obviously but still prying um and she starts asking questions to ax about like well what's your family like and he's like ah they are normal they are a mother and a father there is a mother and a father being and they are my mother and father and (laughs) they are pretty normal um and i think cassie really this this approach works better than marco's like Mm -hmm. he she gets more information and we also get like some ancillary information about like hork bajur where he mentions that like they're set to go to war every 60 some odd years and how the taxons are cannibals and The reason he thinks that the yerks are are infiltrating earth is because they're afraid of humans because humans evolve in these spurts where like you know you discovered nuclear fission and like 40 some odd years later the first bomb was dropped and you discover flight and then 60 years later you were on the moon like it she's like he he's talking to her and saying like it's terrifying how fast your species is evolving in leaps and bounds. And she asked him, Oh, how long did it take Andalites to get from flight to space travel? And Axe is like, I forget. (laughs) Super low key.
1: (laughs) So Axe's prediction is that 50 years from then, which was, you know, mid to late nineties, which would be Mm -hmm. 2040 that we will be capable of faster than light travel. Do you think so?
0: uh no i mean nasa's been disbanded nobody's they're not putting money into nasa anymore which is fucking insane at the rate people are using up resources on this planet but that's another conversation (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no not with defunding nasa i mean when was the last time they even had a president or anything over there it's been like over a year now right there's no leadership
1: Mm, couldn't say for sure
0: yeah, it's been a, I mean, I think at the time these books were written, it was like space travel was still somewhat of a priority, but um the longer I and I mean, dear god, this is I keep thinking it's this is 5 10 years ago. This is 20 years ago now. I mean, the book that we're reading now was published in 2000 or sorry, 1997. Um so we're talking 20 almost 21 years ago. It like <sighs> No, not not <laughs> anymore. Maybe, maybe if another country gets their sp- space flight program together, but not the U.S. anymore. Not Canada, obviously.
1: But we can send Teslas into space. That's cool.
0: That's true. If they if they privatize it and Elon yeah. Musk has anything to do with it, then we will. I mean, we're certainly on track to colonize Mars by that time. But I don't know about faster than light travel. I mean. That that would be pouring a lot of money, and so, and again, you can't ever say maybe tomorrow there will be the breakthrough where we figure out faster than like, travel, but then they just have to like figure out how to make it commonplace and blah. blah, blah. So it, I mean, it depends, but I don't think so. Not with the space program and the state it's in now. Yay! That was a really long explanation for a question. <laughs> I should have just said yes or no to. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> we we can cut all that out if you
1: want. It's kind of topical. Well, uh, we'll kind of.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Anyways, um, so (laughs) Cassie's kind of plying acts for information, um, and then she invites him over to dinner, uh, and he says something like, won't your parents be suspicious of me? And she's like, you've been Jake before, so be Jake. And with, okay, so this sealed the deal for me. (laughs) With how much Cassie is like, we can't morph whales without permission, do you think Cassie would ever say you can morph Jake without Jake's
1: permission? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless, no, n- unless, she would never. Unless <laughs> she and Jake um, came up with the cockamamie scheme to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% believe they do. Okay. Yep, they're like, show Axe a good time. <laughs> Wine and dine the alien. Bring <laughs> him into the inner folds. So, um, yeah, I, Cassie for sure has Jake's permission on this. And so Axe comes over and Cassie's dad is like, I made my chili of
1: doom. Fuck, Th- this really made me want chili. Like Did it? This whole section. I'm just like, I need chili in my face.
0: With jalapeno <gasps> cornbread? Yeah. That sounds amazing. Ugh. No. Oh, jalapeno gross. I never is get gross.
1: cornbread. I never get cornbread anymore because Matt doesn't really? like it. Uh,
0: what? What is wrong with him?
1: Many things.
0: I, okay. I had this amazing cornbread once. Um, it was this lady that no longer works for a company that I no longer work for also, Um, She brought it in as like a celebration of her last day. Like she had a barbecue type cookout thing. And so she had extra cornbread. And there's actual chunks of sweet corn in it. It, Oh my God. It was so like moist and amazing. And then the chunks of sweet corn, it was like the best cornbread I've ever eaten. Like I ate like fucking half a loaf of it. And I was like, oh, I need more. And I'm really bummed I'll never have that cornbread again. So that's my cornbread story. But that, when they said jalapeno cornbread, like, way to ruin perfectly good cornbread.
1: Oh, well, I like jalapenos.
0: I hate the flavor of jalapeno. Not even the spiciness. The flavor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hate jalapenos. it. Jalapenos. Jalapenos. I mean, I'm not great <laughs> with spicy, but, like, the flavor sucks. So anyways. Anyway. I'm <laughs> After the cornbread cast that we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> Another new podcast. Another new podcast where we just talk about Cornbread. So it's it's our weekly cornbread cast. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, Axe is having, he's going to have dinner with them and they like, Cassie says like, oh, oh God, no, if you're making the chili, Axe has already eat or Jake has already eaten. He's not hungry. And they're like, nope, you're over here now. You have to try it. And uh, finally he does. And he just like goes ballistic. <laughs> he's like, it burns, but in a totally new way. And Finally, he yells, this food is wonderful. (laughs) And um, Cassie's dad is like, oh, my God, you're my new favorite person. I love you. Finally, someone that appreciates spicy food. And it's just, it's a sweet, such a sweet moment. And Cassie's parents just, like, lovingly take him in. I love them. Yeah, they're so wonderful. They're so nice. They are so nice. Like, they're, like, the perfect little family. I just... I wish this was my family.
1: And they work with animals, which is just a cherry on top.
0: I know. And, like, they both do it. They both work with animals. So there's not even, like, those weird conversations of, like, well, why do you have to have seven birds? And it's like, I just need (laughs) them. (laughs) A little self-protection there. (laughs) (laughs) This is really just about me, okay? (laughs) Oh,
1: my God. Well, it's not yeah. like you're like I want another bird. Let's go get another bird. It's literally like okay, I yeah. found another bird. It's not gonna leave me. Fine, right? So. It's
0: I tried to get rid of the last one, and he came back. He yeah. chose to live here. So yeah. Anyways, um, Cassie's parents don't have this problem because they all love animals. So, yes. <laughs> it's just it works out really well. Um, and then after their dinner, they they watch a little tv together and it acts does surprisingly well with conversations here like he he's learned a little bit about small talk and he's not perfect at it but like he knows enough now about earth and like when they ask him things like will the bulls go all the way this year he's like ah yes the sports team i believe they will go all the way this year like it's it's pretty good he does pretty well
1: so that's when michael jordan was still on the bulls right Space Jam. Um, when
0: did Space Jam come out?
1: 96 or 7? Yeah, maybe maybe a little later. Anyway, it was a Michael Jordan era for sure.
0: Yeah, anyway, they were still... Yeah. I don't know, I'd have to ask Scott. and That just sounds hard. <laughs>
1: Scott, tell us about to... the
0: sports ball. Scott, tell us about the bulls. <laughs> 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 uh, anyways, um, so they... Ex- after... Cassie's mom starts to, like, nod off. Axe is like, oh, my two-hour time limit is about up. And Cassie's like, okay, I'll I'll walk you out. And she does. And, and um, Cassie's mom still points out just how cute he is still. And uh, Cassie walks out with him to the forest. And she brings him a book of quotes that she would like him to read. And he's she starts kind of talking a little bit more about families. And he gets choked up. And he says something like, I feel as though I cannot talk. And Cassie goes, well, that's pretty normal. Like, you know, you're... You're just a kid. <laughs> I know. And then she asks, asks asks to point out the star where his planet is if he can. And he does. And he demorphs while still looking at the star where his parents and family and people are. And he feels lonely. And then there's a really great just throwaway line or two conversation where... She asked Cassie about his dad's hair and why he doesn't seem to have any. And Cassie goes, Oh, he's balding. That's pretty normal for people, but sometimes they're sensitive about these things. And Axe goes, Ah, yes, my father's hooves are starting to dull as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved
1: that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I love all the the kind of parallels that are, are coming through. And especially because Axe is showing this this longing and this like very kind of human emotion of missing his family and he has this Mm -hmm. longing to be with them and to have to reunite with them and in the same way that the others really want a normal life and they want and like jake wants tom to be normal like it's it's uh it's just great
0: it it truly is and like right after this chapter too the next one um I don't think it's so important to the plot of the book. I think it was really just to drive home that same point. Because, like, in the next chapter is when he can't sleep. He's thinking about his family and their families, like you were saying. And then he realizes Tobias is alone, too. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, he goes looking for Tobias and wakes him up. And he basically makes Tobias swear that he can tell him a promise. Or, like, he can tell him something and makes Tobias promise that he he'll keep this secret between them. And Tobias does. He says, as long as it doesn't hurt my friends, then, you know, I'll I'll do it. And it's it's almost like this, like it's such a childlike thing to do. Like he's missing his family, he's missing everything. So he almost like crawls up to his best friends like, you know, late at night and says, Promise not to tell anybody yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah, Pinky swear, kind of. <laughs> Even Aww. though, you know, he promises on Alfangor and they can't, you know, they're both, like, in this weird situation. But it's this really, like, relatable child scenario of, like, I promise. It's between yeah. us, you know. We Pinky swore We're best friends. Yep. That's, sorry. I just thought I was cute. They're besties. <laughs> they're besties. And, like, and, you know, Axe is still like, I, he'll never truly be my best friend, but he's my best friend now. Aww. So, Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) I'll move along because otherwise we'll just keep talking about how cute they are forever. (laughs) Um, So the thing that uh, Tobias promises is that he will lead Axe to the telescope array and he won't tell anybody about it because Axe has a plan. So they fly to where the telescope is and the chapter is basically just them flying and Axe contemplating why humans are allowed to wear less clothing at the beach and... (laughs) That sort of thing. And um, as they're going there, there's there's a few remarks between Tobias and Axe that t- speak to that tension of Axe not disclosing everything to him. But for the most part, they get to the telescope without incident. And they literally just dive through the large open telescope <laughs> thing. <laughs> so um, Axe gets in and Tobias flies out and is going to like kind of keep watch of this meeting that's happening in the next room that Axe can hear. But he doesn't really know that there's somebody there. Uh, or he doesn't really know, like, what the meeting is going on and who's coming in. So Tobias is going to keep watch, tell him if anybody's coming his way. And uh, Axe sets up the, the telescope to be able to talk to his homeworld. So he boots it up, he starts the connection, and he's met by an angry Andalite officer on the phone. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first thing the officer demands is to give for Axe to give a report. Um, while they try to find his family. Axe does say he wants to talk to his family. He said, we'll have to locate them. Until then, tell me what's going on. So he's telling the officer, I'm fighting with a small force on Earth. Earth is not lost yet. He estimates about 1,000 people are hosts now. No clue how accurate that actually is, but that's his estimate. (laughs) And then he finally, um, he tells him Elfangor's dead. They both express that they're grieving for that loss. And then uh, he drops the huge bomb, which is, Elfangor gave the humans the power to morph, and that's how we're resisting. That guy gets taken completely off the command instantly, and the old, an older officer comes on from the council, the Andalite council. And uh, while Axe is talking to this guy, he's kind of pumping him for information, like, what did Elfangor do? Why did he give this technology away? What, why is this happening? And then the guy basically says, he is a war prince. In this time, we need war princes. So I want you to answer carefully. Did Elfangor give the power to morph to the humans, or did you, as an Arsith, who made a mistake and is under pressure? And Axe is basically forced to take the entire blame for this on his shoulder so Elfangor can remain the untainted war hero that he is to his people.
1: That's fucked up!
0: Yep. And part of the guy's argument is he... Basically immediately identifies what Axe was stressing about, which is by making this phone call and changing this programming, I too have broken the law of Ciro's kindness. And he's like, Axe, you've already broken it. So tell me again, did Elfangor give them that technology or did you? And Axe is like, it was me. <laughs> so... um this kind of ends with uh, the guy ordering Axe not to tell the humans anything more about Andalite or, or their technology, and uh, then they finally get through to Axe's parents. So um, Axe now has his orders, and he's going through all these sorts of emotions and stresses, and he's realizing like how shitty his situation is now, and how he's never going to become an Andalite warrior. And then his dad gets on the phone, and the first thing his dad asks is, where's Alfangor? And he has to tell his dad now that Alfangor's dead. And um that's horrible. First of all, <laughs> that's what yeah. a fucking terrible thing. And he's just had to tell two like go through it two separate times that Elfangor is dead and one was to his own father. And then he and his dad have to go through the death ritual where um Axe's dad confirms you know who killed him. You know who it was. You have the ability to kill them will you avenge your brother's death, basically. And Axe has to say, yes, yes, I will. I will avenge my brother. Um, and then they finally get to start their conversation after going through these rituals. And he sa- the dad starts to say to Axe, oh, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. And then the controller cuts out. It's like, oh, shit, there's a human who has a fucking drake and beam pointed. Out. Oh, God, it's a Yurk host body. Oh, God, and he's found. And that's fun. <laughs> so Axe is basically thinking he's done for because they just found him doing this uh, communications array nonsense and talking to his own people. And uh, then something weirder happens. Yay. It's a human yeah. controller with a proposition for Axe.
1: <laughs> this next part was raising alarm bells in my head.
0: Yes. Because
1: it's a new aspect of the irks that I did not... Even fathom could be a thing. Yep. And
0: that
1: <laughs> is that Yerks can feel love and affection for other Yerks. Uh-huh. They can. Ah.
0: They can. And this idea is just... It's, it's mind-blowing in the first little bit, and then it just has such, like, resonating power through the rest of the... It's, like, the same thing, like... Not the same thing, but I think it's similar to when we were talking about Visitor 3 and we're like, well, can he give up his host body? No. Will that make him the right person for this invasion? No. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, um, this guy named Gary, who acts, then says, I know that's not your real name, so it's the Yurk name Eslin numbers, because that's how Yurks are named. It's like Eslin, Esplin, blah, 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 and then like 346 and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's Yurk naming conventions. Um, he tells Axe that he has a proposition for him and Axe doesn't believe him. Tobias swoops in at some point and rakes the guy's arms, but it doesn't cause him to drop the draken beam. Uh, instead what happens is Axe says, well, you have this draken beam trained on me, so I guess I'm kind of at your mercy. And Eslin himself puts it on the ground and kicks it aside. And he goes, there you go. Now you can kill me if you want. So do, are you going to listen at this point? And Axe is like, well, oh, Okay. <laughs> And um, he kind of looks at Tobias for some reassurance, and Tobias is like, this is your shit show, buddy. I'm fucking out. (laughs) So, um, Eslin tells him how when they destroyed the Kindrona Ray, that they did a ton of damage, but Vizzer Three promised all the Yerks would survive. He said, everybody will be fine. Don't, we have a plan. We'll make sure everybody lives. And... Visor 3 didn't follow through on that. He kept the high-ranking Yerks, and he kept his own friends and his own people that had endeared themselves to him, and he let the unimportant, in quotation marks, the unimportant Yerks die. One of those was Durain, who Eslyn loves, basically. He says, like, oh, I have affections for her, or whatever, but yeah, he loves her. Um, and so Gary slash Eslyn has been working to sabotage Visor 3 ever since he... He let Durain die. And uh, he went as far as to sabotage a transport ship that was taking Vizzer Three's close companions and allies to the feeding grounds. He took out that ship and had them starve and go crazy. Like, the Yurk, knowing how bad that is as a fate, did that willingly to a group of people because of what he did to Durain... And then he give, He tells Axe that Visor 3, he feeds, he feeds alone with as few people as possible because his Andalite host body has to live. And he goes, I'm going to give you the date, location, and time. And you do what you promised your dad you'd do. You go and you kill him.
1: Fuck! Uh, <laughs> like, fuck, man! The concept of Yerkes being able to love, like, never even crossed my mind. Right? Like... Wow. Like, I, I, I knew... Like, I knew viscer 3 already wasn't very popular for, like, logistical war reasons. But, like, this whole element of bringing, like, emotions into it, it's just like, wow. Yeah. The Yorks were so, like, villainized and demonized this whole time. And so, you, like, you didn't even stop to think that they could have affections for each other. So it just, like, came out of left field.
0: Yeah, and... On the other hand, the Andalites were so glorified and they were heroes and they're the Mm -hmm. good guys. And this book just tries to kind of tip the scales back into alignment. Yeah. Like, and this is book eight. Imagine what sorts of things could happen by the time we get to book 54. I mean, there's this whole, it's a book of good and bad, but it's, as I keep telling you, and hopefully this is not spoiling anything for you because it's not a for sure spoiler but it it's all about playing the the lengths up and down of good and bad and where that falls on the scale and what who is inherently good or inherently bad and is that is there is there inherently good inherently bad Mm -hmm. is it all gray and on the good guys can there be bad in the good people can there be good in the bad people like this is a a thing that we, an arc we see throughout the books. And this is, like, kind of the first major glimpse of it we get. Like, I think we can kind of see a little, uh, depending on where you're looking, you can see a little bit about, like, Yerkes maybe not being totally good, totally bad, and, you know, Andalites, we know that their society is a little uptight, so we can maybe, like, infer a little bit from that. But this is the first book, I think, where it, like, blatantly calls out yeah, that they are, It's individuals within a bigger society. Like, that's the whole point of this book. There's individuals, and that does not define a society. Yeah. So, anyways. That was probably a really long rant that led to nowhere.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. It's, yeah.
0: It's good. Uh, So, um, after this, the next thing that happens is we cut to a meeting where several of the pages are just acts in his own head, like, thinking through all of this and everything that happened. Um... And then Marco and Jake just kind of lay into acts, and they're like, what the fuck is happening? And, like, Tobias showed up with a bloody cloth hanging from his talons, and Which, why so didn't he just
1: remove that?
0: I think Tobias maybe didn't like the secret keeping, and maybe just uh, conveniently forgot about it. Gotcha. I don't, I mean, not confirmed, but that's what I think. This is what I'm saying, like, I want to know... So much of what's going on in the other characters' minds in this book. Yeah. Like, I I think it's so much. I think there's so much happening with them. And, like, because you know how tight-knit that team kind of is when thinking together through these things. And Axe is not the enemy in this book, but he's certainly not an ally for most of it.
1: hmm
0: So, it's the team working against Axe while working against something else while trying to get Axe on it. Like, ugh. It has to be from Axe's perspective. This book could only happen from Axe's perspective. Otherwise, it would just be 250 pages of internal thoughts in Jake's head. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> um, so they Tobias showed up with the cloth, the bloody cloth, and Marco's like, obviously, you know, we figured it out and uh he won't tell me why won't he tell me obviously you made him promise not to so it's you it's on you it's not on tobias for some weird ass fucking reason it's on axe Yeah. (laughs) like whatever um
1: but they're already fed up with him anyway
0: right they're already fed up with him so they just kind of use it to attack him mostly rachel and marco use it to attack him but But like um, you
1: said like in previous podcasts that marco and rachel end up on the same side a lot of the time they are just like yeah totally in together on this
0: they are this entire book it's marco and rachel are worried about this marco and rachel think this marco and rachel are against you on that like there it's the entire book it's like those two are in cahoots the whole time and And, even um
1: what were you gonna say x x uh mentioned earlier in the book i think when he was talking to cassie that like or no it was when um marco took him to the bookstore He said Mm -hmm. that Marco and Rachel never really warmed to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. That is true. Yep. What were you going to say? Because they know. I was going to say even uh, earlier in the movie theater when uh, Jake was saying, oh, this is great. Like we've, we can finally see like our actions and X calls out like, oh, Rachel has the mind of a warrior. She knows that this probably isn't the end. Marco doesn't say anything, but he when Marco believes something, I think, like, if he really believed Jake, I think he would fight to say, no, this is really, we are defeating them. This is logical. But because he stayed silent, I think he agreed with Rachel. That Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> they have the same opinions most of the time.
1: <laughs> I was going to say that, like, you know, Cassie's, like, 100% emotion-based. Yeah. Um, and then Marco, on the other end of the scale, is, like, 100% logic-based. Um Rachel is very emotional, but I think she leans more in the logic area because she has that warrior mindset, and then I, I think Jake kind of leans more into the emotion area. So I'm, I'm just picturing, like, like, a scale here.
0: I think Rachel is more not so much... Like, she is emotional, like, anger, rage-wise, but I think yeah. she's maybe not even so much logical as pessimistic. Like, okay. logical, yes, but, like, I think it's more like... When Marco sees, like, oh, because it's been several, like, several weeks before we've seen anything, you know, it. Jake's saying, oh, it's finally happening. But he's Marco's probably like, logically, that doesn't make sense. We would have seen it much sooner based on the three-day feeding schedule. Whereas Rachel would probably be like, no, don't underestimate the enemy. Don't take yeah. it for granted. Like, it's the same conclusion, but I think it's because Rachel's more like, don't ever believe you have the upper hand don't ever get cocky because you don't anyways basically they they get into the same argument that's been happening the whole book of like Axe isn't being open with us we keep throwing the doors wide open letting you learn about us our families we're letting you in and you're not doing anything and if you're making Tobias keep secrets from us now then you can't be part of this group and he kicks him out of the group and Axe very cryptically says well we probably wouldn't have been together much longer anyways and leaves so
1: <laughs> broke up with the crew.
0: Yeah. Um, although Tobias still talks to him. So, you know, um, Axe and Tobias have a bit of a conversation where Tobias finds out that a prince can technically order their um, minions to do whatever so they nice. want. Yeah, subordinates, whatever. <laughs> um Minions. Minions. They can basically order them to do whatever or not do whatever because they have to listen to the prince no matter what. And so uh, Axe is kind of in his own head, so he, Tobias is very clearly getting ideas from this conversation, and Axe is just, like, missing it. He's like, but I'm going to die, but this is horrible, blah, blah, blah. So um, he takes off running towards where Visor 3 is going to land and feed, um, and he's not running to get there quickly, he's trying to outrun his own fears and doubts and terror and the ideas that he knows he's going to die and that no matter what his people will never look at him as a hero because he was the arsith and even if he gets as he says gets points for killing visor 3, he's n- always going to be the kid that well, he fucked up big time, but at least he killed visor 3 or, you know, he lucky shot kind of a thing. Like it's yeah. he it's did never it out of
1: obligation instead of out of
0: exactly and even if he does this amazing feat it's a, there's always going to be a butt attached to it because he's had to take all the blame for Elfangor giving the morphing technology away yeah so um, yeah he's trying to outrun all of that and he gets there like an hour beforehand and he's deciding what he wants to do and where he can set up to, to try and make this plan happen and so he decides to morph the rattlesnake and wait it out um, so he does he lays low and then he feels when the bug fighters touch down. There's only two of them. So Visitor 3 is coming out to feed. And the first thing he does is go over to the water to get a drink. And that's right where Axe is hiding. So Axe waits. And as Visitor 3 comes over him, he realizes his tail has started to go. And uh, then he jumps at him and pumps Visitor 3 full of poison. Gets him right in the leg. And just starts like pumping him full of venom. So uh, he lets go, and Visor 3 tries to get him, but he's already, like, moved out of the way because the snake is somehow faster than the Andalite's tail, which is lightning quick. Again, who knows? Whatever. Um, Yeah, and he starts to slither away. Visor 3 is going, everybody, the snake, get them, kill them. And Axe has ordered himself to start demorphing because now that he's poisoned him, he's going to have to turn back into his Andalite self to finish him off when the poison starts to kick in and that's when ax realizes as his stock eyes are coming out of his little snake head that there's a hork right in front of him and this thing is coming down it's about to cut his head off with its bladed hand when bam rachel as a grizzly bear takes that motherfucker out and saves Axe's life because rachel's a badass and i love her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um then the, that hilarious interaction of like ax is like rachel and she's like no it's smoky the bear <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah that's fun
1: hork are um smaller than I expected like I'm not saying that grizzly bears are fucking small cause they're not mm-hmm. but I always thought that hork were bigger than a bear but apparently they're... not
0: well I don't know how tall the bears stand cause Hork-Bajir are like 7 feet tall bears though too are like 7 grizzly bears I think can be over 7 feet tall i think hang on i'm gonna look it up
1: what oh that's at the shoulder standing Mm -hmm. sorry i'm googling oh a coastal male may stand up to 9.8 feet or three meters perfect
0: yeah i was gonna say i thought they could be like eight or nine feet tall so
1: i think i underestimated grizzly bears
0: yeah, and the only yeah. thing is, is the Hork-Bajure, I mean, they're made for climbing around trees and, like, eating bark and things. So, like, they're very, they're tall and they're covered in blades, but they're not, like, dense. Whereas the grizzly bear is just, like, a frickin' powerhouse of muscle and claws and, like, yeah. those things are insane. But, yeah, Rachel, like, just kind of swipes him aside. <laughs> and then he sees Jake as the tiger uh, and Tobias... He does not see Marco or Cassie, although they're they're there, at least Marco is, and Cassie Cassie's too. there. Okay. Well, they don't, he doesn't see them initially. He just calls out Rachel and then Jake Tobias. And uh, so they're quickly taking out Visor 3's troops to the point where Tobias is like, oh, look out, there's a, ah, uh, never mind, Marco got him. Marco <laughs> and Rachel got him. I pictured and, as
1: him as like sports commentating.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's like the <laughs> eyes, in. and now off to the side, blah, 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 running towards the blade ship. Oh, he Benza. just got taken
1: out by Rachel. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, um, th- that's going down. Axe is saved. He keeps demorphing. Rachel says, come on, get to your Andalite body and let's kick some yerk butt. And, um, then Tobias and Axe have this moment where Axe goes, Tobias, you've made me very angry. And Tobias goes, yeah, I'm not too happy with you too, buddy, but we're a team. (laughs) And then Tobias says, I got around all of this because you told me that Prince Jake could order me to do anything and he's kind of my prince too, so I ordered him to make me tell him your plan. Yay! Yay. So the battle is raging. They're taking down all the troops. They finally get Visitor 3 surrounded and alone and they're going to kill him when Tobias starts going, no, 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 and diving towards him. And um, Tobias points out that Vizard 3 has abandoned his host body, so now they're left with another dying Andalite. I know. Vizard 3, you fucking coward. He is a fucking coward. Vizard 3 is like, ah, He's the worst. He's the worst. I mean, I know this book is all about, like, finding out bad can be not 100% bad and good can be not 100% good, but fucking Vizzer 3 is always the worst. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> fucking a terrible. fucking dick. <laughs> He's a fucking dick. Um, oh, God. Yeah. So these poor kids are left alone now with War Prince Aloran Cemetery Carass. And um, I did spoil that his name was Aloran earlier. Welcome. Yeah. Hello. This is Aloran. Introduce yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, how okay. we see him is that he is begging X to kill him. And... Axe basically goes, now that you're only an Andalite, I can't do it. I can't kill one of my own people. I just, I can't. And Aloran tries to kill himself. And he can't because he's too weak from the poison. Like, fuck, man. How? So, anyways, he's begging Axe to kill him. Axe won't. Instead, Aloran asks Axe to take a message to his wife and two children. He says to tell my children, my wife, that I still have love for them. And that's basically it the kids and Axe leave Aloran dying in there, Aloran does say that there's help on the way that will save his host body so Visor 3, you know, can reinfest him yeah, And they cause leave he's too precious him. right, cause he's, he's a hot commodity mm-hmm. um, and they all leave him there dying, knowing that the next time they face him he'll be Visor 3 again
1: like <sighs> what would you have done, you know
0: I want to say I would have killed him. Yeah. Because he's. I mean, I, I want to say I could have done that for him. I mean, I'm not looking at it like I would be such a badass. I would kill him. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. like
1: it's. It would be a mercy.
0: If killing. yeah, he's begging me to save his life, but then he says he has wife. He has his wife and his kids. He, yeah. Oh god. It's like. What do you do? And he's talking about how fucked up his own head is. He's like, everything's... He's like, I've seen some things. I've seen terrible, terrible things. It Like, this this is, like, the most broken you can possibly be. Think about how long he's been through mental torture, living with the most evil yeah. force in, theoretically, the galaxy inside of his own head. Yeah. Like... Fuck, I would like to think that I could do that for him, but probably the same thing as the kids. Get fucking scared and run away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean if Rachel can't even do it then who can? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What what would you do?
1: Um I mean I'm kinda in the same boat as you. Like like I, I'd wanna free him from that pain and misery. And I would, it would strike a blow to the Yerkes for sure. But yeah, there's like, I, I wouldn't be happy to do it. That's for damn sure.
0: Although, if they had killed him now and Vizier 3 had, he would have theoretically then gotten a human host body. That would have made him a more capable leader in this battle. Oh, that's
1: true. That's true. So maybe it's an that advantage. We
0: had. Yeah. So maybe this is an advantage even though it doesn't look like it and it doesn't feel like it. Like, and then again, how awful is that, that you're willing to say to this guy, um, no, sorry, go keep fucking enduring that because we have a slight advantage because Visor 3 is so incompetent, we don't want to make him better
1: at his job. But visitor 3 also wouldn't have been able to morph. Yeah. Maybe it, like, evens out. Maybe. But, you know, But then have, again, like, nuclear like, weapons and shit. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah,
0: and if he was... I mean, because then, theoretically, his top priority would have just been going up the the ladder as far as, like, having power in, like, the government or police or, like, so he would have gotten a host body that was, like, you'd have to imagine he'd try to find, like, the president or something like that to Mm -hmm. infest right away. And then, like, holy shit. Like, I don't know. There's just, it's so many different lines could have happened from here. Like, so many different timelines could have happened from this. Yeah. Oh, God. It's all horrible. It's all horrible. Nothing's the right answer. We can only hope that they did their best. All right. Well, it, anyways, the kids run away, like we probably would have done in that situation.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then next up comes what I think is arguably the most important conversation in this book. Um, and it's Axe's call to action to be an anamorph. And it's two days after this incident occurs. They have this meeting that Axe called to talk to them, and he says to them, "Like, listen. This is the law of Ciro's kindness. This is why, like, you know, this this is." why we have these rules in place and the kids are all kind of guessing at it like oh what is it like what? because you do want us to be inferior because you want to stay the main race of the galaxy blah, blah. and Cassie's finally the one that hits on it no it's it's guilt it's shame you said that in our conversation before and Axe goes yeah it is and what we did was we made the Yerkes space travel capable yep. we gave them the technology to go to other planets where they infested hosts um, they... damn it Cyril Yeah. Yep. But he, being kind, he thought he met a Yurk like Eslin and he thought that he would give him the power to travel because everybody should experience the stars and then they took over and became a terrible, terrible blight upon this galaxy going from planet to planet infesting hosts and the Andalites are just trying to fix their mistake. Yep. And Axe expects them to shun him when he says this. And then the humans, who are kind of almost uniquely in this position to, to judge like this, according to this book series, says that your species shame is not your shame. There are bad people in the world. People do terrible things. And... That doesn't define you. And when you go to space, like, humans are not the Yerks. We're going to be next to you. We're going to fight. We're going to win next to you. We're going to lose next to you. We're going to go forward together because the ideal that we absolutely believe in is freedom. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that's Axe's call to action then. He realizes that they will accept him for who he is and they will make him a part of a team. They're his friends and allies and they're in the good guys. They have, you know... They're going to fight for freedom with him and try to help them get to defeat the irks. Yay! Yay. And then uh, we lead to Marco trying to lighten the mood. So he asks, okay, so how is it that Andalites eat? And Axe tells them that. And then Tobias goes, oh, that's why during the morning ritual you always, you know, stick your hoof in the stream. And then they're like, wait, what's the morning ritual? And Axe shares this moment with Tobias of, like, I will tell you everything.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. Sometimes I can communicate with you with simply a look. (laughs) That is what he says! Pretty much. Yep.
0: Oh, Oh, man. Yeah, but it's just, like, this great moment, and... I like that it's this moment within a moment of, like, Axe will be part of the team now. He promises to tell him everything. But then, like, he has this other moment with Tobias where he's like, and I will tell you everything you need to know. Which is basically Axe inviting him to ask him about being, like, a knothlet and answering the hard questions for him and, you know, doing whatever he can for him. And then Tobias just never asks. He's like, yeah, but I don't need to know. Like... Yeah. He's so unassuming. He's so good with emotions.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, then earlier in the book, um, that was brought up, and Axe was like, okay, Tobias has never asked me. I don't know if he ever will. Is it because he already knows the answer? Or mm-hmm. is it because he actually prefers being a hawk? And I was just like, oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. My emotions.
0: Fuck. I was going to make a note of that, and then I specifically was like, "I, I won't because, like... It will lead down that same conversation as episode three where we were, like, how, like, how fucked up was he in his personal life and how bad was it for him to want to be a hawk and then him recognizing this in, like, when rachel was enjoying the morph too much and tobias got scared for her and said no back out get control you're not in you think you're in control but you're not and the dolphins too you think you're in control but you are not like yeah this is such a a sensitive topic for him because that's exactly what he wanted and maybe he's kind of swinging the pendulum the other way now again back to like where he was in book one where being a hawk was like fantastic compared to his regular life like uh, yeah i Uh. don't know I figured we'd get caught in that trap of talking about that in depth. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the pit of despair. The pit of despair. Oh, man. All right. Well, we I'll get through the final two pages of this book instead of getting sucked into the Tobias conversation. Oh,
1: I forgot there was more.
0: Just two more pages. I know. it's Because it seemed like I thought it was done, and then I turned the page. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so... The final two pages of this book is Axe transmitting to his people again. And it just cuts to him and Gary slash Eslin um, at the, the telescope again. So he sends a message to his people. The same cranky officer answers the call. And he pass he says, I have a message from Aloran. And, of course, everybody knows who Aloran is. Because not only is he a war prince, he is the most dishonored Andalite as the war prince that was taken as a host. Yeah. Like, it so... He's The guy is shocked. He says, Aloran wants his wife and his children to know that he still has love for them. Um, And then Axe goes on to say, I'm going to fight alongside the people of Earth. And the officer goes, don't say what you're about to. Do not say it. And Axe goes, it is too late. The people of Earth are now my people. And with due respect, I will not allow them to be destroyed while I still live. And then the officer goes, you're just like your brother. And Axe laughs and goes, thank you. And God. that's how we end the book.
1: God. Yay. Take that, Lyrum. Yep. You grumpy old face. Yeah.
0: And so, my question upon ending this book, is Axe still your favorite character?
1: Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very definitive yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely. All right. Now that I know kind of like what he's going through um, and his... You know, his his whole character just kind of amplified for me. Like, he, he went from being just kind of, like, the comic relief to, like, uh... uh. Yeah, you,
0: I definitely... Take me through your emotional journey through this book. Because you were texting me as it was happening, and I was laughing so hard when you were like, Ah, this book! And I'm like, oh, I know which part you're at. <laughs> <laughs> like... I knew you were going to kind of, like, you know, that it would change by the end of it. So I just, tell me your
1: journey reading this. Well, I was only griping to you, like, the rattlesnake thing was really what I was griping to you about. Like, I never, I never once had a problem with Axe himself. Um, Because, like, I, I understood the position he was in kind of being torn between helping out the humans versus trying to reconcile that with the laws of his own people. Like yeah, that's it's a it's a tough position to be in, and right, he kind of went rogue in the end, and I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, and like honestly, helping the humans defeat the Yerkes could be kind of like a way to make up for the whole Ciro's kindness thing. So, I think it's the right way to go. Yeah, it, you know, like the Andalites can only like bask in their guilt for so long. It's like do something about it.
0: Right. Although, I mean, theoretically, they are trying to do something about it by fighting the Yerks, but it just kind of sounds like they're overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, because Lirum said that, like, the humans are taken, or about to be taken, but we really can't get out there right now. You're gonna have to wait. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, and and somewhere in the book, didn't they mention that the, maybe it was a Lauren, that the homeworld was taken? Or there oh, were, infiltrated. There were within, yeah, there was yeah, the yerks yerks that, that within. infiltrated the homeworld. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was just, like, a brief mention, but that's kind of like, oh, shit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's... That's crazy to imagine, because there is, as far as we know, still only one Andalite host body. Like, I feel like they would have told Axe if there was... If something else, like, that big had have happened. So it's yeah. like, how? are Like, how are they infiltrating the homeworlds?
1: But the there are probably other kind of creatures on the Andalite planet, right?
0: Some. Yeah, but...
1: Um, <laughs> I feel like you're kind of, like, trying not to confirm nor deny anything right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it, because um, we'll f- revisit this <laughs> soon-ish?
1: You're making that face I know you are. <laughs>
0: Damn it, you can see my face from here. I can see your
1: face. <laughs> In my mental mind.
0: We can't see each other's faces, but sometimes <laughs> we share a look and know what
1: each other is feeling. <laughs> oh, yeah. God.
0: um, It's not anything that would be big enough to support a yerk per se. Sure. So, yeah. And I think they've already said in a different book that um, this, the amount of flora and fauna I, I keep saying flora and fauna, and all I mean is fauna. <laughs> but the sheer amount no of... flora. Yeah, there is no flora. I mean, it's... it's There's a lot of flora on a lot of planets. But the sheer amount of um, species on the planet is overwhelming to the Yerks and the Andalites and, like, to everybody. Like, everybody's amazed by how much animal stuff Earth has. So it's not like you're going to go and, like get a glimpse of, like, the Yurk homeworld or Andalite homeworld and be like, wow, I am overwhelmed by the amount of aliens she's packed into these books. It's like, no, everybody's insanely overwhelmed by Earth. (laughs) So that's another thing to just keep in mind. Gotcha. Okay. Anything else you want to recap about Axe's book? Uh, Since it's so different.
1: I think I'm good. All Um, right. I just love
0: him. I love him, too. I really do. Um, I only have one other order of business to say before we can wrap this up. All right. And that is uh, we got a lot of shit for saying the Batman series was recorded in the 60s and 70s because apparently it was the 80s. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, David, for calling us oh, out. No. David. Oh, no. We're calling God. you out in return. Yeah.
0: Fucking shit,
1: man. Sorry, David. We're not as <laughs> versed in comic books glorious you are
0: (laughs) i'm sorry adam west isn't at the forefront of my mind every waking moment i mean he is for us yeah thanks for i don't even know if he fact-checked i think he just just straight up i don't know if he messaged me i don't even remember how he communicated this back to me all i remember was an overwhelming sense of disappointment coming from him So, and I've also had this on the notes to, like, correct for, like, what, three, four episodes now that we've recorded, and I keep forgetting to bring it up. So there, David, finally, you're welcome.
1: We were wrong.
0: We were wrong. Fine. (laughs) So, yeah, that's it. That's all I had.
1: To be fair, it looks like earlier than the 80s, personally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So forgive me.
0: I mean, come on. (laughs) <laughs> well that's all i had
1: <laughs> that's that was a very important subject
0: i thought so bro. and on that terrible disappointment
1: <laughs> hey um, audience do you want to get in touch with us well now you can i mean you were able to before but
0: you still can we're still maintaining you that you ask yes Oh, how? Well, let me tell you how you can email us at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. You could go to our website, which is animorphsanonymous.com. You could find us on Facebook, which is slash animorphsanonymous. You could find us on Twitter at Animorphs anon. You could find us on Instagram at animorphsanonymous. And is there anything else? Did I miss any?
1: And our podcast can be found on iTunes and Google Play and Pocket Casts and Stitcher. Podbean and Stitcher.
0: Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere that podcast can be found.
1: Obviously, <laughs> except that. for Spotify. <laughs> oh yeah, we're not on Spotify. Yeah. Yet.
0: Yeah, well, we have we
1: yeah. <laughs> we could be. Oh.
0: I stumbled over like 36 answers there. <laughs> <laughs> we could be. So that's We-hee. That's where we can be contacted, and uh, if you send me an email, I will respond. Probably, unless I won't. it's like really abusive, and then I'll
1: just yeah. cry. <laughs> <laughs> but you never cry because you didn't cry at Coco. I know that was a lie. I'd never do that. <laughs> you'll, you'll just you'll pull a Rachel and turn into a grizzly bear. I will.
0: Rage. I'll become enraged. I'll send you a very angry email in return. And uh, if you want to write more angry messages you can do that under itunes just give us a five star rating and then put all your grievances in the
1: comments yeah we really only care about the ratings
0: yeah we really really just want to be five stars your comments can say whatever give us a recipe to your favorite type of cake i'll appreciate that
1: oh yeah i need some more
0: i need to pan out my cake collection (laughs) send us your cakes (laughs) (laughs) That's all we really wanted. We started this Animorphs <laughs> podcast so we could get cake recipes. Obviously, perfect. Could you not see the A to B correlation there? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. Let's let's get out it. Let's get out of here. You can find us in two weeks at the same bad time, same bad place. Probably nice. also not from the Adam West series in the eighties. <laughs> nice, <laughs> David. David. I hope you can hear my disdain in your for your commentary. Oh my god. And if you want to uh, hurl abuse at David, he'll be a guest on our podcast in like a year and a half. Cool. <laughs> so we'll call him out then, too.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. Later, Anna fans. Later, Gator.
0: <laughs> Bye.
1: <laughs> Bye.